story savants. How's everybody doing today? I apologize, I've been pretty absent for the last week or so. I went on a vacation down to St. George and I thought I was totally going to get all of this work done while I was down there, which may seem a little silly, but it's the type of vacation where we do actually have a lot of downtime, um, laying around the pool and that sort of thing. And so I just thought that I would be able to get up before everyone else gets up and get work done. And I, I got some done, but not very much. So, um, yeah, I was actually supposed to post this interview last week with Tom Fowler and yeah, I'm just getting around to it. So I apologize for that. And I'm really, really excited to have you guys hear this interview. This is actually, was kind of exciting for me because this is the first interview I've done for my podcast. I've done coaching calls and things, and most of those I have not actually posted on the podcast, though I'm hoping to uh, post a coaching call for you at some point. Um, but this was a really fun interview for me to do, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Do you want to write fiction but don't know where to start? Believe me, I understand. I've stood in your shoes. I've wanted to write amazing stories and wondered if I was even on the right track. I worried and struggled for years. I know what it feels like to have no idea what you're doing. Like everything you write is cheesy and amateurish and you'll never be good enough to sit on the shelves next to the great authors of your time or the classics. But I want you to know there's an answer for you. A way to know that the stories you're writing will resonate with readers. A way to transform from wherever you are now in your writing journey to someone who's universally hailed as talented and a skilled storyteller. Welcome to The Story Savant, the podcast with free writing advice for the aspiring storyteller. I'm going to give you every tool I know to help you become a master storyteller. Every week, I'll bring you tips on story structure, characterization, themes, heroes, villains, and more to automatically make your story resonate with your audience. Stay tuned. We're going to learn to tell amazing stories, and we're going to have a ton of fun doing it. Let's do this. Um, all right, but let's get into Tom Fowler. So he and I know each other because we are both authors and we're in several Facebook groups together. So we've um, talked or posted on each other's you know, comments, that sort of thing, a few times. We are also both uh, involved in a crime fiction anthology, uh, which I don't think I've announced on the podcast, though I did tell my uh, email list about it. But it's basically an anthology of like 18 authors. Most of us are putting together uh, novellas, so they're going to be a little bit shorter, and it's not going to be out until early next year, so we've got a while. But he and I write similar things because we both write in the crime genre, and that's how we know each other. And so I asked him if he wanted to be interviewed for the podcast, and he said yes. So um, I will make sure and put links to where you can find his stuff in the show notes. And yeah, let's just get right into it. Here is my interview with Tom. Um, Tom and I know each other just from being in Facebook groups together because we're both authors. We both kind of write in the thriller crime genre. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Todd, what you write and where you're at and all of that. Hi, uh, I'm Tom Fowler. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm originally from Baltimore, and that's where all my stories are set. I currently write a mystery series, uh, the C.T. Ferguson crime novels. Uh, as we record this, I'm uh, up to eight. Number nine is going to come out uh probably around June 22nd, I think is the day I'm going to set it for. And the series uh, is fairly conventional, hard-boiled PI, except he doesn't have a law enforcement background. He has a computer hacking background. P put my own little spin on it. Yeah. Uh, and later this year, uh, sometime in the fall, I'm going to start a, a new thriller series and keep the other one going as well. I'll probably have to alternate books at some point, but I'm going to start a new series in the fall. Nice. So you just have the one series then? You don't have 
any other books besides that? Ferguson? Right now, no. Okay, gotcha. Nice. Um, so are you a full-time writer or do you have a day job or? No, I'm part-time. I have a day job. I do uh, IT security for, uh, for the federal government for a three-letter agency. It's actually the FDA, but I like saying a three-letter agency because people are like, ooh, we work for the spy agency. It's like, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> well, you should just tell people you do just so it sounds cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Give you some um, credibility for what you write. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did work for uh, the Defense Department for several years before. Okay. So, yeah. so you do have some background and know what you're talking about in these things, right? Right. So when it comes to what you write, I was looking through some of it, and is it is it kind of more in the thriller area? It seems like you do a lot of techno and, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like like spy stuff and and terrorist stuff. Is is that a lot of what you write? There's a little bit of that. Uh, it, I guess crime thriller is probably the best way to describe them. Uh, okay. I usually just call them mysteries for the most part because I, I think more people are familiar with mystery than crime thriller. Right. Um, but uh, they certainly have some thriller. I mean, the genres are very closely linked anyway. Right. So there's certainly a lot of that in there. Um, but I, I approach them as mysteries first, but I certainly want them to be thrilling. Mm -hmm. And I hope they are. Sure. <laughs> but you always have like a, a some sort of mystery that the main character is trying to solve, that sort of thing. Right. Definitely. Yeah. That's something that I have kind of run up against too, because I write more serial killer detective kind of stuff. But even mm -hmm. so, you know, I would think that that would be pretty squarely in the mystery genre, but I see books like that in the thriller genre and psychological mystery all the time. So the genres, there's a lot of crossover and it can be hard to figure out where your book fits. There is. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a crossover, a lot of bleed through, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I mean, yeah. my eighth book is, um, you know, a serial killer mystery. Oh, okay. Uh, it could certainly be called a serial killer thriller. Right. And I think one of the categories I picked was serial killers. Um, but, you know, it is also a mystery story. Right. Right. Yep. Like you said, there's just, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. And the, the nice thing about it is no matter how you categorize it, all of those have a really great readership. So yes, you always have people absolutely. who will be interested in reading your books for sure. So um, my podcast is mostly for aspiring writers and I do a lot of story craft and that sort of thing in it. I don't talk as much about marketing and, and all of that. I figure there's lots of podcasts that have that covered way better than I could. So um, tell us a little bit about your writing process and how you, you know, you approach your stories. Well, I always, I get ideas from all kinds of places, you know, they're everywhere. Um, right. And I always have, I know how I want the story to start. I know the general crux of what I want the mystery that the main character has to solve to be. And I know how I want it to end. Usually I have some idea of, I can like kind of visualize the ending scenes and how I want everything to wrap up. And the difficulty of course is, you know, that middle 90%. Right. And for a while I was, uh, you know, I, I was a pantser. I'm an outliner now. Um, so that's definitely part of my process. Uh, and we can certainly talk about why I made that change. Yeah, we should, um, we definitely should, but go ahead. But yeah, I, I do an outline. It's, it's pretty brief. You know, it's four to five pages for a typical novel of about 75,000 words. Mm -hmm. So it, it's enough structure to keep me on the path, but it's also flexible enough that I can make changes and move scenes around or add scenes as the story and as the characters demand as it unfolds. Because there's a significant amount of pantsing when you're taking, you know, a two sentence write up for a scene and turning it into a thousand words. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I actually, I'm very, um, 
I'm an advocate of doing outlines, but yeah, I kind of say the same thing. The whole plotting versus pantsing thing. It's really kind of a ridiculous argument because everybody yeah. does some of both. Even right. if you're a really intricate plotter, you're still going to pant some and vice versa. Even if you're a pantser, at some point you've got to have a plan and that's <laughs> an outline in your head, you know? <laughs> so Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a spectrum, I think. And there, there are probably people entrenched at the far ends, like, um, I know Joanna Penn always mentions she's a discovery writer. I think Stephen right. King is famously a discovery writer or a pantser as well. Mm -hmm. And at the other end, uh, 2017, I think it was, at the Maryland Writers Association Conference, Jeffrey Deaver was the keynote speaker, the author of The Bone Collector and many other works. Right. And he said his outlines are 100 to 150 pages. Wow. <laughs> now, if, if we're talking 150 pages of, you know, single space, 12 point font, that's a book for me. I, you know, I don't, right. he's full time and I'm not, but I don't have time to write a book before I write a book. Right. And it's his process and it works for him and that's great, but that's way too outlining <laughs> for me. That's way too rigid. Yeah, that's probably, that's more than I do too. I might have, like you said, it just kind of depends on how much is actually on those pages. I might have, I don't know. I've never actually counted, but I, I can see myself even having 20 or 30 pages, but it's not like 12 point single space. It's more like, mm -hmm. like what you would think of an A, B and C sort of outline kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's interesting. It's really interesting. It's definitely it's just whatever works for each person, you know? Right. <laughs> and I, I actually really believe that it really is the same process. You know, you're still, it's still just discovering your story and one just takes a lot longer and a lot more words than the other. Um, which is why the main reason I like outlining is because I just write faster that way, but I don't think that it necessarily impinges on your creativity. So you talked about how, why you made the decision to become an outlier an outliner. Tell us more about that. Well, it was in my, uh, my third book, the workers of iniquity. I got to, I guess about the 75% mark with no outline. This is the last book I pantsed mm -hmm. and I had written myself under corner. I had absolutely no idea how I was going to get from 75% to the 90 to hundred percent mark. I knew how I wanted it to end, but I was stuck at where I was and couldn't figure out how to bridge that gap. Right. So I use the advice um, I believe is popularly attributed to Raymond Chandler. And that's if you're ever unsure of what to do, have a man walk in with a gun. Uh, <laughs> works, wor works very well in crime fiction. You know, if you're writing right. historical romance, not so much. But right. you know, in our genre, it works very well. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I did. I had someone walk in with a gun and threaten the protagonist and he got out of the situation. And that gave me the kick in the pants and a couple of ideas to to get the rest of the book done. But my thought was, well, I can't do this every time. If, if in every book at 75%, somebody walks in with a gun, it's going to be ridiculous. It'll yeah. be a self parody at that point. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have to start outlining. And uh, I read a book by Libby Hawker called take off your pants, which is a great title. It really <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> and, and I really like her method because it's not super detailed and you can adapt as much as you want. And I've, I've taken stuff from that. I've taken a little bit from story grid. And, you know, I've turned into the four or five page outline that I use, but that was what really got me on the road was writing myself in the corner and realizing you know, I can't, I can't keep writing this way. Right. And now I think I write faster because I know what I'm going to write when I sit down. Yeah. And I found that that's, you know, I've read a lot of different story craft books and books on writing faster. And that is generally what people find. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people start out being pantsers, you know, just because, you're a newbie writer and you're not sure what your process is going to be and what you're going to write. But as they get more serious and turn it more into a career and 
you know, more of a business. It's just about efficiency, really, you know, and yeah. so people start outlining because if you have something to write toward, then you can, even if it changes along the way, that's totally fine, but you have something right. that you can move toward and not go like completely off the rails, like you said, write yourself into a corner, that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. And especially if you're a part timer, um, your writing time is limited, mm -hmm. you know, and if you only have an hour or two or however much time you have to, to write, you can't spend 20 minutes of that staring at a blinking cursor thinking, well, what am I going to write now? Right. Whereas if you have an outline, even if it's not a very detailed outline, even if you have like a one sentence write up per scene, you can say, oh, well, today, you know, these three things are going to happen. So I'll write these three scenes. Boom, done. Right. Right. Very, that's a very good point for sure. So how have things changed for you during quarantine? I kind of feel like we always have to sort of, you know, give the nod to what's going on right now. Has it changed? Because you're part time, has it changed much about writing for you or about your yeah, situation it, it in has. general? Has it? it really has. Um, you know, my wife and I are both working uh, from home, of course, which is, and, and we're very fortunate that we both still have the, have our jobs. Right. Uh, she's a teacher, so she is discovering the uh, the joys of teaching over Zoom, which are uh, <laughs> which are very limited joys. From I was going to say many and varied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before, in the pre-Corona times, um, I I go to work earlier and I leave work earlier than she does. I, I meet our daughter's bus every day. And I work, work from home a couple of days a week anyway. Um, but my writing time was the time after I got home from work and like we were done with homework and, you know, my daughter and I would go for a walk on nice days, you know, stuff like that. By the time we were done all of that and between when my wife got home, I usually had, depending on the day, an hour and a half, two hours sometimes. Mm -hmm. That was my writing time. And that time is gone because everyone is home all the time now. Right. And, you know, now it's kind of back to the whole I'm writing in stolen moments and I have to carve out time again. And, and I probably have not been as diligent about that as, as I could be mm -hmm. um, because I'm trying not to like, oh, I'm going to leave and go do this thing. You know, I, I want to try to stay with the family because it's a challenging time for everybody. Right. So. Yeah, I probably need to be better at carving out some time for that, but it has definitely uh, changed my writing schedule and my writing routine. Yeah. And not for the better. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's, I think that's probably true of a lot of people. It's like mm -hmm. going back to that time before we had set times and kind of feeling like we have to figure it out all over again, you know? Right. That's rough. It is. It's been, mm -hmm. I think that's been challenging for a lot of people. Um, well, I'm glad you're figuring it out. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can you tell us, um, you know, maybe some, some do's and don'ts, things that work for you really well when it comes to either finding time to write or maybe your process of writing, maybe things that you've, you've heard or tried that work well or don't work well, just general advice that works for you. Uh, for me, really, it was uh, getting the outlining part down. Uh, and I know people who are resistant to it because they think it's going to kill their creativity. And it really doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you're doing a brief outlining, you know, like I said, you're turning two sentences into a thousand words for a scene or however many words your scene is. Right. There's a lot of making it up there still. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it still allows for creativity. You know, I, I have not tried dictation. I know there are people who have tried that and who love it. <sighs> I, I don't know. It's, it, it, it feels, it just feels weird to me to dictate a book and maybe it's great. And I'm missing out on the revolution that would make me three times faster or whatever, but I have not tried it yet. Um, yeah. Props, props to those who have. Um, 
but yeah. especially if you are a part-time writer or you know someone who has limited time to sit down and do this you really need to find things that can make you faster and maybe that is dictation for some folks maybe it's outlining uh, or e even if you're a uh, a pantser at the end of your this is what i used to do before i started outlining uh, at the end of my writing the previous you know on that day i would jot down a couple things i would expect to happen next kind of you know a, a pre-outline maybe if you want to call it that um, yeah. but that would at least let me when i started the next day think oh well you know these are the things i wanted to i thought were going to happen so i'll work on these and even that was enough to keep me on the path at least until i went off of it at the 75 percent <laughs> mark in that one book so really, I mean, people have to find what works for them. Um, right. What works for you or what works for me is not going to work for everybody. Right. And, you know, some of it's trial and error. You're going to find, you're going to, you might experiment with things you don't like and that mm -hmm. don't work for you. Um, or you may be resistant to them like I am with dictation. Um, but really it's just about finding what helps you get the words down the fastest and the best. Right. And I think there's always something that's going to be a little bit sacrificed because dictation, I do dictation. I won't say that I love it, but mm -hmm. I do it because it, it, I do, I manage to write faster that way, but it's like, you kind of think that it's going to be faster and easier and it's a whole new skill set so that you have to learn. And so you have to kind of take into account, yeah, maybe that'll make you faster in the long run, but if you have limited time to write, are you also going to be using all that time just to learn dictation and not get your writing done? So there's always kind of a push and pull, I think. Right. Um, and then, does that introduce more editing time because you have to add you have to fix names and add quotes and it can it, it kind of depends on how you look at it again because mm -hmm. um i actually do a, a, an extra pass of editing only because when you dictate it doesn't no matter how well you enunciate and i don't enunciate particularly well i tend to talk too fast um people who listen to my podcast probably know that i kind of slur my words together because i talk fast but you have, you know, even if you talk really well and eloquently and slowly, it still isn't going to pick things up wrong. You know, you have to train your dictation software. So you basically have to go through and correct the software first and then mm -hmm. go into the normal writing editing. So in that sense, it does take more editing. I actually, you can put in the quotes and the line breaks and everything as you dictate. And I would recommend doing that. Otherwise it's way harder, mm -hmm. but it still ends up being faster for me because, um, when I'm writing just with my fingers, it just takes me way longer to get the words down. So I still think I end up writing faster with the dictation, but that's not to say that there isn't more work involved depending on how you're looking at it, you know? So mm -hmm. like I said, there's always, there's always kind of a push and pull and you just have to, like you said, do what works for you. And right. I actually read something really interesting. I was reading a book about INFJs because I'm an, I don't know if you know what that is. It's a personality mm -hmm. type. I'm an INFJ. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of writers who are either that personality or similar to that because it's mm -hmm. more introverted and you know more conducive to writing. And it talked about how they, that type of personality has a really strong bond with their fingers. And so that's <laughs> probably another thing that is conducive to writing, mm -hmm. but that also makes it harder for us to dictate. And we're right. the people who want to dictate our writing. So <laughs> there's just all this, you know, it's, it's really kind of interesting the way that it sort of flows mm -hmm. into itself. But anyway, sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, one thing I think that can also be a help is you don't have to, you know, if you don't want to dictate, you don't, you still don't have to sit at a desk to write every day. You know, you, mm -hmm. there's Google Docs on your phone, whatever kind of phone you have, you can use Google Docs on it. Right. Uh, if you, have, you, know, you can use the notes feature on your iPhone. Uh, mm -hmm. If you use Scrivener, there's a mobile version for only for iOS, I think currently. 
Um, but I do that sometimes, you know, if I'm traveling, you know, back when we could travel, if I travel anywhere, I, would, I don't take a computer. I just take my iPad and a Bluetooth keyboard and I use the mobile version of Scrivener. You know, if you're right. somewhere with your phone and you're waiting a half an hour for something, open up notes or Google Docs or just any kind of a blank text document, you can tap out a scene on your thumbs. There are plenty of people who have written entire books or parts of books on their phones. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. I've heard people say that they wrote their book like while they were exercising on the exercise bike on their phone. And yeah, I don't know if I could quite pull that off, but hey, <laughs> if that works for them, you know, that's right. It's great. We have so much technology, so many, you know, possibilities, which is really, really nice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, so talk to me about the tropes you use in your writing. You said that you, you told me before that you approach them a little bit differently than other people. So how do you approach your tropes? But one of the big tropes of a mystery series is, is the main character himself or herself. Usually it's a character from a law enforcement background or military background or both in some cases. Um, you know, your Spencers, your Kinsey Milhones, they were all former cops of some sort. Right. Um, but I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to put kind of my own spin on it. And when I started writing the series, I was also watching, I think they were all in reruns by this point, but Monk, um, the show that was on USA Network for a while and Psych and shows like that. And, and the protagonists there um, were detectives, but they were the photographic memory kind of detectives. And it's like, well, I don't really want that either because that's that trope is getting a little played out. Right. So I wanted to do something closer to what I knew. And, you know, my background is in IT security. So I was like, what if I have the character come from the darker side of that background? Uh, and then I just went down that rabbit hole of making him a hacker versus someone from law enforcement. And I think I do, a, I do hit a lot of the other um, genre tropes for mysteries, but uh, I did kind of twist the, the one for the main character, you know, but you, you generally want to have a, a, a dead body because the detective isn't going to investigate somebody, you know, stealing candy bars from the 7-Eleven. Right, you, yeah. You need a, a kidnapping or a murder or something like that that's really going to get the character into gear. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have something like that that you have to introduce fairly early. You have to put a bunch of obstacles in the way. There's, you know, usually at least one antagonist and, you know, a couple of red herrings here and there. And, you know, you have to threaten the protagonist a few times along the way. Uh, so I, th I think I do hit a lot of the normal PI tropes, even though my PI character is unconventional. So how do you, how do you work that character in? Does he like help the police or... I mean, how is he like tied into the investigation of the murder? Right. One of the things, uh, another way that I wanted to make him unconventional uh, is because he doesn't have the usual background. He's usually brought in by someone who did not, the police didn't solve their case. Okay. So he usually comes in and he works for free for his clients. Uh, his parents are own a charitable foundation and their foundation pays him for completing a case but his clients don't pay. So he works okay. usually for people who did not get their case resolved by the police. Like the murder is unsolved or the kidnapping remains open or something like that. The, you know, the case isn't closed yet. Um, and he has a cousin who is a, in, in the first book, he's a uniform sergeant. Later he becomes a plainclothes detective uh, on the Baltimore police force. And they get along for the most part. Uh, there are <laughs> certainly some personality clashes along the way. Sure. Um, that but, makes it yeah, fun, he, right? <laughs> right. He does work with the police, you know, to the degree that a character like that would work with the police, which is to say he lies to them most of the time and goes behind <laughs> their backs and, you know. That's awesome. So do they like hire him like as a consultant or is it more of a PI sort of dynamic? Yeah, he, he's, 
I mean, he, he works for the individuals, so he is a, a PI. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, he, he doesn't generally work for the police, although I, I did uh, do a novella where he does kind of work with his cousin on something. Okay. Um, but for the most part, he's brought in by uh, people who are, you know, or people who know victims of crime and the crime has not been solved yet. Okay. Yeah, that's super fun. So do, do you find that the tropes are really, really important to selling your book and to getting them in to the story? Or do, does that just happen naturally as you write? Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot in the genre, so I, I think it kind of happens naturally for me because I just, I'm so used to them because I've read, you know, all the Spencer books, all, you know, so many, I've read a lot of so many series. Um, right, yeah. Where, where these, you know, grandmaster writers have put the tropes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think it's something I just kind of do naturally. Uh, but it's certainly whatever genre you write in is going to have tropes. You know, right. if you write romance, you're supposed to have the, you know, the characters come together and then come apart and then come together and you have a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. If you don't hit those tropes, you're going to disappoint your romance readers. Right. You have science, there are science fiction tropes and fantasy tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can subvert them in some cases, you know, Game of Thrones does that in the fantasy space. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you need to know what your tropes are and be able to pull them off. Even if you're putting a bit of your own spin on them, right. you know, a, a reader, someone who reads a lot of your genre, whatever that is, should recognize the tropes when they come across them. Yeah. That comes from reading and knowing your genre. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's great advice. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what do you wish you'd known when you first started out as a writer? Um, from a bit of the marketing side, I wish I'd started my email list sooner. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to start it? Uh, my first book was already out and was out for... Um, not too long, but I, I should have started it first and mm-hmm. built built more of a of a following, you know, whatever limited following I had back then, I should have built before the book came out. Uh, and I think that's a pretty common, um, something that people wish they knew at the time was start the mailing list sooner. Right. Um, from a writing perspective, I think I wish I would have known I would you know, take my stories off the rails a little bit by not having an outline. Because <laughs> you know, had I done outlines for the for the first couple of books, they might be a little bit tighter as stories. Um, right. You know, I, the first book I released is actually the third book I wrote for the for the series. The first two were just dreadful and not worth publishing. Uh, one of the <laughs> purpose uh, parts of as a novella, so it did see the light of day in some form. But for the most part, they just they just were not very good. Like the fact that I didn't quite know the character well enough yet, to me at least, having written other books since then was apparent. So, um, you know, I, it was not the the first book. Is maybe the usually I think it's like the first book, worst book, because it's the kind you know, the book where you're still figuring some things out. Right. And I think for any author in any series, um, particularly if if it's their first published novel, like my first book in the series was for me, it's going to be a little bit sketchier than some of the ones that come later because obviously what we want to improve over time right right and had i known then that hey outlining even briefly is a better solution for me at least uh, i would have done that and maybe written a bit of a a tighter book and maybe a better story Uh, but they're out there you know their audio is done for them so i don't want to change them too much now and you know break whisper sync and stuff like that yeah you know people seem to like them so i'm not going to complain I, when I see them, I think oh, I could have done that a little bit better. Yeah. But you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm three year, almost three years into writing the series now. So I'm going to look back at the early books and always think, well, you know, maybe I could have done this instead. 
They are right. what they are at this point. Yeah. And we are always our own worst critics. So absolutely. You know, for the most part, we're way more critical than the readers are. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely true. Um, what is your favorite writing trick or hack? Is something you? Um, I would say it's, I don't want to keep banging the outline drum. Um, <laughs> anyone who's a panther could be like, screw this guy. I don't want to hear what he has to say. It's um, all right. I, I actually harp on the outline a lot. So my <laughs> listeners are probably used to it. And anyone who hates it doesn't listen anyway anymore. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I would say one and one A then are, you know, find uh, some kind of an outlining or pre-writing method that works for you, especially if you're part-time and you're, the time you have to sit at the keyboard is limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one A would be, Actually, you don't have to sit at a keyboard. You can do this on your phone or your tablet while you're sitting in bed or you're, you know, while you're in line at the grocery store or, you know, waiting at the doctor's office or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the technology exists to bang out a few hundred words in Google Docs or whatever you're using while you're waiting for something. And it can right. make you a lot more productive in the end. Sure, sure. That's great advice. And read, read in your genre. And <laughs> maybe that's one yeah. deep. Read in your genre. Definitely. And I like, I really like the, what you said about how the tropes come naturally if you read in your genre. I think people who don't read in their genre don't necessarily know that, you know, that right. you can tell the difference between someone who knows how to write for this genre versus someone who's just trying it out because they think it might be fun, you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, I read hardly any romance. Usually it's authors that I know. I'll pick up one of their books here and there. So I would not attempt to write something like that because I don't know the tropes that well. It's not something mm-hmm. I'm familiar with. Right. Yeah, and other genres too. I, I mostly read in, in the stuff that I write, Maybe branch out here and there, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, definitely read and know your tropes. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks so much for talking with me today. Uh, as kind of a last note, do you have any advice? I, I guess you kind of already said it, but any advice for new aspiring writers that you want to throw out there? Um, take it seriously because you know, it, it may, you may start out as a hobby, but you can turn it into something quite lucrative, even if you're part-time, you know, mm-hmm. selling a few thousand books isn't bad money. Right. Um, and find a process that works for you. You know, I know you and I have been beating the outline drum here for the last 25 <laughs> minutes or so, but if you're a dedicated discovery writer, then do that. If you're a dictator, well, not a dictator, but if you're right. someone who dictates <laughs> books, um, you know, do that. Find a process that works for you, even if there's trial and error involved, and, and do that going forward and put out the best book you can. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Great. All right. Well, um, tell us where the listeners can find you and your books. Uh, they are available in uh, ebook and paperback. Most of them are large print now, too. I'm still working on getting all of that done uh, on Amazon. Um, audiobooks are done for the first two, uh, and my website is tomfowlerwrites.com. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here today, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thanks for it having fun. me. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you would like to support the show as a patron, hop over to www.patreon.com forward slash story savant. If you're big on Facebook, join our Facebook community at bit.ly forward slash 
Story Savant Facebook to get a free PDF of my nine essential plot points for a page turning story. Sign up at bit.ly forward slash story savant courses. All these links are in the show notes. Hi there. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you could leave me a review on iTunes. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media platform and tag me. Remember, only you can tell your story and there are tons of people out there waiting to connect with it. So get out there and write the best story you can write. Remember, only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So be a story savant and get out there and get that sucker written.